Aren't you thankful for forgiveness? But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts, whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise and take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sin, he said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, went forth before them all, and so much that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We've never seen it on this fashion. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning, a little bit of a lengthy title, more than usual. But I want to talk to you this morning about a desperate entrance and a miracle exit. A desperate entrance and a miracle exit. Exit. Everybody say, thank the Lord for the Word. Y'all say it like I do. Thank the Lord for the Word. There you go. God bless you. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> the book of Mark is significantly shorter than the other three Gospels. Mark seems to target the Romans as his primary audience of readers and does this by presenting Jesus as a suffering servant. He focuses more on the actions of Jesus than of the teaching and preaching of Jesus. Mark probably emphasizes the human aspect of Jesus more than the other three gospel writers. So Mark gives us some insight into the emotions of Jesus, the limitations of Jesus as a human, and the other small details of His humanity. But the book of Mark is loaded with miracles. In fact, when you begin to read the book of Mark, there's very little introduction or background information given about Jesus and who he was. Mark immediately begins to record the great miracles that Jesus performed. Mark records about 19 of them. In the scripture setting that we read today, this miracle was one of the earliest miracles in Jesus' ministry. After he was rejected by his hometown in Nazareth, Jesus would adopt Capernaum as his second home. So now the Pharisees and the religious leaders were all perched in the neighborhood around this house that we read about this morning, waiting to spring upon an unsuspecting Jesus so they could begin accusing him of violating the law of Moses, and so on. These men were from every part of Israel, and their intent was to destroy the works of God in the earth. These are religious leaders wanting to destroy the works of God in the earth. So Mark details the scene uh, much better than Matthew and Luke did. He said the crowds had gathered, and they probably were the more common people of that town. The crowd was made up of fishermen, those who ran the weaver's loom, the farmers who worked the fields, the housewives who were maintaining the home. It was just the the peasant people 
that congregated so much of life in those days. Jesus moves into the house, and soon the house is filled to capacity. The overflow crowds are out into the yard. There was a low buzz of conversation, no doubt, that could be heard. There were some who would attempt to hush the voices so they could hear what Jesus was saying inside the house, and I'm sure the windows were open, uh, as was customary for the day. Maybe there was a gentle breeze blowing quietly through the branches of the trees, and perhaps there was a persistent, distant call of birds that could be heard, the occasional bark of a dog that goes unnoticed by most. And as a crowd settles in to hear what Jesus has to say, in fact, the Bible declares that never a man spake like this man. The Bible went on to say that even the wind and the seas obey him. Praise the Lord. So there were four men that wanted to be a part of this meeting. They had a friend that they were deeply, deeply concerned about. I don't know what happened that they arrived late. I am rather encouraged that even people are late for something Jesus is hosting. Don't make me feel quite so bad about the folks here at Grace Church that, you know, one of these days I'm going to talk to Casey and we're going to find uh, little gifts and things to give away. We do that from time to time. I think our next project is going to be a watch or a clock that has Grace Church on it uh, to help some folks. But anyway, whatever the case was, I'm going to cut these folks some slack. I'm going to give them some latitude because they were going to pick up their friend who was paralyzed. When they said he was sick of the palsy, Luke describes it and the disease associated with that, the disease he had, had attacked his nervous system and it left him completely paralyzed. And so they had to pick him up on a stretcher. So here they finally show up late with their poor pitiful burden on a stretcher that they were carrying. We can only surmise as to the blank looks that came to the faces of the four men when they saw the crowd. How in the world are we going to get our friend into that house? Again, this man was stricken with palsy. This malady that men that the men brought to Jesus that day was described by Luke in strict agreement with the medical writers of that day that said he was palsied or paralyzed. So here was this thin, emaciated, obviously ill man who wanted more than anything to be healed, but now faced with obstacles that he had no control over. I'm going to say that again. Here was this thin, emaciated, obviously ill, desperate man, may I add, who wanted more than anything to be healed. But he's now faced with all of these obstacles between him and Jesus, and he has no control over the obstacles. The path between him and Jesus, is filled with all kinds of barriers, all kinds of beliefs, all kinds of perspectives, all kind of doubt, all kind of fear, all kind of judging. 
You can put any word you want in that blank. On top of the mentality and attitudes that were there that day was the presence of all of these physical bodies. And I think it's a sad commentary in the Scripture because these are religious people. And if there ought to be anybody on this planet that ought to be accommodating to people who need to be healed, it ought to be religious people. If anybody ought to have grace and compassion in their spirit, it it should have been this house full of people. The religious leaders that were there that day should have jumped out of their seat and said, hey, y'all clear the path, clear out, clear out. Let this man come in. But nobody moved. So, you all know the story. The four very determined friends, they were willing to look past the obstacles towards the alternatives. It is good. We give up way too quick. Buddy, if there's any little distraction, any little offense, any little thing, any little hurt, any little heartache, whatever, we give up. We see the crowd of all kind of stuff gathered between us and Jesus. And we assume that life is over and we can't go any further. And we're done, etc., etc. Not these guys. Y'all aren't hearing me today. The man that they were carrying to the people in the house, that man had no value. He had no purpose, and his only identity he had was that he was paralyzed. So why invest any faith? Why give him any opportunity? Why do anything out of the way to make it possible for this man to see Jesus? He's hopeless. And as far as I'm concerned, when you read the context of the Scripture... That was pretty much the attitude of the people in the house. I want to tell everybody here today, all of you seasoned Pentecostals that like to gloat over that from time to time, when it gets to the point that people start having to tear our roof off to get a pathway to Jesus, we're in trouble. I agree with a packed out house, and I'm all into that, but I don't like the attitude. Those doors need to be open for anybody and everybody that wants to walk through them and find what they need in Jesus. Everybody that comes here virtually has no value and no purpose. That's why they come. That's the point. God help me today. That's why we're here. It's to give Jesus to people so they can realize their value, so they can realize their purpose. Everybody here today is worth something to Jesus in his kingdom. Everybody clap your hands and shout, yeah. Thank the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now it goes, let me say quickly in passing, I'm off my notes and I always get in trouble when I do that. But let me just say in passing, I'm fixing to get in trouble. Forgiveness is better than permission, right? It's what they say. But there were some of you folks that when you came, there wasn't a whole lot of value and purpose in your life either. 
So somebody said one time, don't get all hoity-toity now that you're on this side of Christianity and you're on this side of the cross. We have to remember the pit that God dug us out of and always be thankful for forgiveness and repentance and remission of sin. And we're going to extend that to anybody and everybody that wants to come to Grace Church. And we're going to make a path from where they are to where Jesus is. That's why we're here. Lord. I apologize for getting a little preachy right there, but uh, we need to hear. I don't apologize either. I just said that to make you feel better. I'm not one out sorry I said it. That's why we're here. But the architectural features on the homes of those, of those regions were obviously different than ours. They had little access to wood and lumber. So the houses were formed by arches that formed above the walls at three feet intervals and there were some limestone slabs about three feet long that were laid on the arches and then plastered with lime cement. And they used all kind of stuff to build a house. <clears throat> Very foreign to us. So when you read about them tearing a roof off, this is the point that I want to make. They were so determined to get their friend to Jesus, they didn't care what happened to the people inside, including Jesus. It wasn't built like houses are now. You can tear a section of the roof off these days and not do too much damage underneath. But back then, it was a possibility of caving the whole house in. They didn't care. Our friend is going to get to Jesus today, no matter what. Now, you put this story in context, and we've all heard it. I can promise you, Brother Mike Landry and our ushering staff, if I hear somebody up there starting to rip the roof off, I'm going to ask somebody to go outside and check and see what's going on. I don't think they did that in 30 seconds. It took a little while. And I just have to believe that Jesus just said something under his breath that said, just paralyze all these people. Paralyze them all. We don't want nobody going, I know what's going up there on that roof. We don't want anybody to go out there and stop them. Just paralyze everybody here today for a minute. I'll give them their movement back in a minute, but just keep them frozen to their seat for a second while this roof is torn off because it's going to be a phenomenal object lesson to prove to them early on in my ministry that I am God manifest in the flesh. So there they sat, their eyes peeled towards the roof, wondering what that racket was, and pretty soon pieces of the roof started falling in, and they had to kind of get out of the way and kind of squeeze and squeeze so that the debris that fell on the floor could make it to the floor without hitting somebody else in the process. And all of a sudden, this little gurney, probably about five to six feet long, two or three feet wide, comes down out of the roof, and somehow they, they got the perfect spot. I believe Jesus might have had a little bit to, that, to do with that too, kind of put in a spiritual GPS unit and said, no, a little bit to the right, a little more to the right, right, right there, right there. Now, now dig your hole. Start tearing it off right there. And here he comes. And it's interesting to me, and I understand the Jewish thing. They were all Jews, and so it would be appropriate for Jesus to call him son. He was of the Jewish Lineage. He was of the household of the Jewish people. But I believe Jesus was saying something else. In the world that this man had been living in, 
There was obviously no family. If there were family, they didn't care enough about trying to get this man to Jesus. It was his friends that did it. So I see the absence of family here huge. And Jesus looks at the man and calls him son. That you have now become a part of a family that's even greater than your natural family. There's folks here today, y'all crossways with your family, you don't see them, you don't talk to them, whatever, I understand that, I get that. It's, it's something to do with our culture and whatnot. We even have a few challenging situations in my own family, and I understand it and I get it. But to walk into the house of God and to hear God say, Son, you're a part of a family now. <laughs> And to look at a man who can't move and say, your sin be forgiven, tells me that there was something that sin had to do with the condition he was in. I don't know how old the guy was, but apparently he was a grown man. He was a grown adult. And something had happened to him that left him in this condition. Thank God for friends. Thank God for friends that they brought him to Jesus that day. But Jesus recognized that what you need more right now than your physical healing is a a spiritual healing, a mental healing, and emotional healing. And if I can accomplish all those things, I'll get you up off that stretcher and you'll walk out of here. So Jesus said, your sin be forgiven. He started where? He started at the most important place. Jesus wasn't interested in healing his hurts. He wasn't interested in healing all the horrible things that happened to him with his family. He wasn't interested in that right now. He said, let's focus on you for a minute. Let's focus on the man. Let's focus on your heart. Let's focus on your past. And I'm going to take all that away and just these Five short words, your sin be forgiven thee. All of it's going to go away just like that. You don't believe that, do you? But it does. It happens just that fast. The man, though he was still paralyzed, granted, though he was still paralyzed, had a heart that was cleansed. All of the past hurts and pain, all the anxiety and stress and frustration, all of the bad family stuff, all of the bad this stuff, all of the bad that stuff, all of that had gone away. And that one single statement that Jesus made, and Jesus did it on purpose because the religious leaders that were there that day, the Pharisees said, who is this man? Only God can forgive sin. So Jesus made the statement to show you who I am. You Not only do you not know who this man is, you don't know who I am either. So I'm going to open your eyes so that you may see and to show you that God has the power to forgive sin. I say unto the man, sick of the palsy, arise. Just like that. Just like that, his sin was wiped out, Brother Phil. And just like that, he jumped straight up to his feet, picked up that little gurney that he was let down on through the roof, and he walked out of the house. And it happens just like that. Now, with that little introduction in mind, I want to preach to you for a few minutes.
We have the story. But when we look back at the text that we just read, there are some principles that we can be gleaned out of it, that can be gained from this portion of Scripture. Listen to Pastor this morning. Sometimes it may appear that Jesus... I'm waiting on the next slide. It may appear that Jesus is more concerned with the needs of others more than our own needs. Do you all have appearances can be deceiving back there? There it goes. Sometimes it appears to people who attend a church service like this that God is more concerned with everyone else than He is you. And that if He was concerned about you, He is very hard to get to. The man who needed his life changed by the power of Jesus could not get to Jesus for his healing because people stood in his way. People. People. Not the man's attitude. Not the man with palsy. Not his attitude. Not his mentality. Not the way he looked at life. Not the way that he was bitter. Not the way that he had been hurt. That wasn't what was keeping him from getting to Jesus. It was people. People's preconceived ideas. People's rejection of him. People's betrayal of him that we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. This man who needed his life changed by the power of Jesus could not get to Jesus because of people standing in his way. The house was packed that day. And there are moments in life when Jesus seems to be hard to get to. Job of the Old Testament illustrated this point very well. In Job 23, the Bible said, Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. There are the righteous, the, the righteous might dispute with him. So should I be delivered from ever uh, from my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there and backward. But I cannot perceive him on the left hand where he doth work. I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. But he knoweth of the way I take. He knows the way I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. 
My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept, but not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. But he is in he is in one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desires, even that he doeth. For he performs the thing that has that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. Therefore I am troubled in his presence when I consider, and I am afraid of him. For God maketh my heart soft and the almighty troubleth me because I was not cut off from before the darkness neither hath he covered the darkness from my face sometimes it seems that God is hard to find and no doubt Jesus to some people here today appears hard to find for some various reasons because of those who are in front of us because of a mind filled with doubt because of the difficulty of the trial because of the circumstances surrounding the dilemma that life has put us in. This is not the first time that people could not get to Jesus. The Scripture is full of folks who seemingly could not get to God. Ruth of the Old Testament could not get to God because of her nationality. Hannah could not get to God because of her childlessness. Esther could not get to God and save her people because she had not been invited to the king's court. There's always something that blocks our path, which brings me to my second point. When you hear the divine invitation of Jesus... When a friend wants to take you by the hand and lead you into the presence of God, action at that point is necessary and it's important. A lot of times, and I've seen it all of my life, I saw it last Sunday as a matter of fact, God inviting somebody, wooing them into His presence. I talked to you last Sunday about being wounded and whatnot. And I watched that person walk out the door. Instead of going that way, You need to come this way and make a desperate entrance so you can leave with a miracle. Sometimes there's an action that will be required on our part for the miracle to occur in our life. As long as faith is centered on self and personal interest and personal hurts and personal all of that stuff, then it is thoroughly held in the hand by a leash. But when faith gets away from self and becomes involved in purpose, the kingdom of God can grow in our lives. And if the four men would have just stood around and waited on the crowd to clear out or would have waited until the right time or another time or would have waited until the right set of circumstances, they would have removed their hope for a miracle. We've all met people who have told us that one of these days I'm going to serve God. One of these days I'm going to get involved. One of these days I'm going to do something great for God. I've heard people say, I want a great life, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I want an anointing from God, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I want a prayer life, but I'm not going to change anything to have one. I want to know what the Bible says, but I'm not going to study it. I want to win souls, but I'm not going to talk to anybody. We all say we want to. But after a while, Action is required. After a while, you've got to get up and do something. I can be thirsty and sit in my recliner and stare at a glass of water sitting on the kitchen counter and want it until my teeth fall out and I thirst to death. I'm not going to get that water until I get up and go get it. My dad, when I was a kid, would always would, would make a statement along those lines. And he would ask you, I think it's French. 
even though my dad didn't have a drop of French in him, he would look at you and say, comprends? And he always says, that means, do you understand? I don't know if that's what that means or not, but I was taught that all my life. So I'm going to repeat my statement. We all want things we say we do. But after a while, you have to get up and get it. Come from? May I tell you that just in case you thought something might happen, it will not happen in a million years until you get up and do something about it. What you must do is something that moves you along your way towards Jesus. These men could have took an inappropriate action and went home. That's doing something, but it's the wrong thing. You have to do the right thing, and the right thing is moving you in a direction that takes you closer to Jesus. Notice from the Scripture, if you want the sun to stand still, you've got to be in a very serious battle. It ain't going to happen with you sitting in your lazy boy. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Y'all are looking at me like, you know, all right. If you want water to be sweet, you have to taste the bitter stuff first. If you want manna from heaven, you got to get real hungry. It don't happen with you sitting in your living room and your lazy boy with a remote in your hand saying, Honey, bring me a Diet Coke. Y'all not hearing me today. I, I, I feel like I'm stuck. And I'm going to repeat this so somebody gets it. If you want fire to fall from heaven, you have to sometimes be surrounded by doubt and unbelief. If you want the birds to feed you, sometimes you have to be on the run from a mad queen. If you want the axe head to float in the water, it's got to be lost in the water first. In other words, there's got to be some difficulty. There's got to be some obstacles. There's got to be some problems. But let me tell you one thing. Jesus is worth fighting for. He's worth whatever it takes to get from where you are to where he is. Somebody help me this morning. Clap your hands, folks. The four men had to do something. They had to climb up the stairs with a stretcher. They had to begin to climb on the roof. They had to begin to negotiate how we're going to get on the roof and get our friend on the roof without dropping him off and killing him. And then they had to dig the hole and tear up the roof and lower the stretcher down in a full room of people. It required focus and planning and a little premeditation. I'll never forget one time I heard Brother Greg Albritton preach years ago. And when he introduced his sermon, he said, Folks, I have come here today with premeditated worship on my mind. I didn't wait to get here to decide if I was going to worship or not. I walked through the door. I decided on the way to church that when I get there tonight, I'm going to worship God with all my might. And he left the pulpit and did about three laps around them building, and then people just sitting there. It was premeditated worship. I believe these men showed up that day. Yes, would we prefer the easier route to get to Jesus? Sure. If everybody would have just cleaned a little path, they could have walked straight up. But they didn't do that. People didn't accommodate him. So they got on the roof and tore the roof off. Action was required. You can sit there and moan all you want. But after a while, 
So it required focus. Any weakling can resign. Any quitter can quit. Anyone can give up. There are a few stalwart people who refuse to give up, give out, or give in. I want to be one of those men. I feel like to some degree I am one. I ain't a quitter. I never have quit. I've never taken my toys and go home. I'm going to swing the bat again. I'm going to throw the football again. I'm going to shoot the basketball again. I'm going to preach another sermon. I'm going to pray another prayer. I'm going to read another scripture. Hallelujah to God. The writer of Hebrews said, Come boldly unto the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy in the hour of need. Come on, somebody. If you want something from God, act like it. If one way fails, try another. Quit listening to the crowd. Refuse to give in to yourself. It's going to take a little band of men who are willing to reach beyond themselves. And I know there's people here today who are struggling and having trouble and having financial problems and job problems and marital problems. There's people here today that even doubt about what God has called them to do. There's people here today that's unable to forgive themselves, even though God has. There's people having trouble with their kids and health problems and struggling with depression and family problems. The list is endless. But if you want the sons to stand still, the battle you're in right now is a good opportunity to say, Hey, God, I need a little help. you got to do something. These men stayed with a task. If one fails, there's another way. We can't get through the door, so we'll tear off the roof. It's not easy. It's costly. Sometimes the skies will not give up the rain until the prayer's been prayed seven times. Don't give up after the second or third or fourth time to praying or reading your Bible. Keep praying. Keep working. Stay with the task. The large characters are full of these type of action. It was a woman who looked for the lost coin. She didn't look in one room and quit. The Bible said she swept her entire house. The shepherd who looked for the lost sheep, he didn't go to the convenient places and looked. He hung out over the clefts and the mountainside. He hung out over everything. He looked in the bushes. He looked everywhere. He left 99 behind to find the one you don't quit I love the story Jesus told the parable of the man who had company show up at midnight y'all don't do that to me probably won't come to the door <laughs> been known to do that for a time or two anyway Jesus told a parable about a man who had company at midnight. Now, who would do that to somebody? And he caught the man without any groceries. So he went to his neighbor. Hey, Bill, I need some bread. Nothing. I'd have said, the nice man that I am, I'm not going to bother him. Our company will just have to wait in the morning. They can fast and break their fast at break fast. Some of you folks, man, I just, my heart goes out. <laughs> but that ain't what the man did. Hey, Bill, I need some bread. You know the story. No answer. Bill, I know you're in there, man. 
I need some bread. And Bill finally came to the door. You know why? Because the neighbor was determined. I've got people at my house that need to be fed. And I'll wake up the neighborhood. I'll go into the city. I don't care what it takes. I'll go kill a donkey. I'll do something. But I'm going to feed my people that are in my house. God help me today. Somebody here today needs to get up off of it. You want something to change in your life? Do something about it. And the awesome thing, and I'm trying to close. We didn't have Wednesday night in church. See what happens? Y'all getting both. <laughs> I'm trying to conclude. But when you get to Jesus, when you finally come into his presence, you always leave with more than you came for. He always gives you more. There's a little restaurant in Baker. We used to love to eat at it all the time. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just kind of off the beaten path for us now. But anyway, it's called Lanyap. Lanyap is something extra to give you more is what the word means. And every time you come to Jesus, it's Lanyap. Because you always walk away with more than you came for. This man came for healing. But Jesus forgave his sin. What a bargain. So the second principle that we learn from this, or excuse me, the third principle, is we always get far more than we anticipate. The Bible said, for the just, we walk by faith and not by sight. And if they would have looked, if these men would have looked at the rabbis that were frowning and scowling about the intrusiveness of the whole affair, if they would have looked at the homeowner he would have probably threatened to sue them. I'm going to take you to court for this. Had they looked at the listeners, they would have noticed their impatience at the interruption that had just happened. But Jesus, he read it right. He read their action correctly. The house can be repaired. And all of you people, I'll teach another day. But what's going to happen to this man and his friends will change them for eternity. And that's the most important thing. So Jesus read the proper action and understood that these men were looking for a miracle. There must be a point that you walk in the steps that God has ordained. There's always purpose in it. We need to understand that. With Moses, the bush was just a bush until God set it on fire and then began to talk to Moses out of it. See, when you had Jesus you get a whole lot more. A bush becomes a bush that won't burn and a fire that won't be quenched, and God speaks out of it. Is this working? Life is just life until God puts you on His radar. 
And then everything changes. And you need the battle. And you need the valley of the shadow of death sometimes. And you need discouragement. You need heartbreak. Why? Because that makes you vulnerable. And you're open and you're not quite as argumentative as you was yesterday. And you wasn't the know-it-all that you were a year ago. And all of a sudden you're laying flat on your back scaring, staring up the sky and saying, God, what just happened to me? But it's God's way of stopping the sun. It's God's way of pouring fire down out of heaven. God, I could run through a troop and leap over a wall. God's talking to somebody right now. You always get more than what you anticipate when you come into the presence of God. When you're Moses and you're holding a rod in your hand, it's just a rod until God tells you to throw it down. And then it becomes a serpent. So you always get more than you bargain for with Jesus. And then your serpent eats all the other bad serpents. And then you grab it by the tail and it becomes a rod again. Isn't God cool? That's the coolest thing on the planet. I think it is. Y'all don't, but I I think so. How about God told Moses to put his hand inside his bosom and he pulled out and it's full of leprosy? Before that, it was just a hand. But God turned it into something horrible. He said, no, no, don't panic, Moses. Just put it back in there and pull it out again. It was his hand again. That's pretty cool. You always get more out of God than what you need. What most of us don't realize is that if we'd be willing to offer the common things of our life, the broken things of our life, if we had offered up to God, He would take that, put it all back together, and use it for something extraordinary. If someone would have asked on that night that Paul was being let down in a basket from Damascus, y'all remember that story? If someone had been there and said, what's in the basket? Somebody might have answered, oh, it's just Saul of Tarshish. No, it ain't. In that basket is a revival that's going to turn the world upside down. That's what's in that basket. You always get more. If someone would have asked on that day of our text, the four men brought the man on the stretcher. What's on that stretcher? The crowd would have answered, oh, it's that palsied man. He's been living like that for years. He lives in such and such a place, and nobody ever fools with him, whatever. That's not what was on that stretcher. That was a miracle, man. Huge. A miracle that proved the identity of Jesus to that known part of the world. That's what was on that stretcher. So whatever it is in your life, you will have your opinion And other people will have theirs. But when God looks at it, He sees something totally different. You always get more. Leave the common things to men and they remain common. But give them to God and He has a way of moving beyond our sight into a greater realm of faith. What's in your hand, David? A sling? No. What's in my hand is a giant slayer. You think I kill small little animals that aggravate my sheep with it. But right now I'm fixing to kill the biggest man in the world with it. With one stone, one shot. That's what's in my hand. What's in your hand? Rahab, what's that hanging out your window? A scarlet thread? No, it's my salvation. 
Samson, what are you doing with that jawbone in your hand, man? What are you, have you lost your mind? No, this is a weapon, and I'm fixing to kill 3,000 men with it. How about the little boy that gave his lunch to one of the disciples that day? What's in that bag? Oh, two loaves and or the, the two fish and five loaves of bread. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to give it to Jesus, and he's going to feed 5,000 men, not including women and children. And people looked at him and said, Are you serious? Have you lost your mind? That ain't going to feed anybody. But when you put it, no matter what it is, into the hands of God, I'm challenging somebody right now. No one else can see what God sees. Everyone else sees the crowd, the sick man, a Jesus beyond reach. Men that can't get their friend to Jesus. That's what everybody sees. But Jesus sees something totally different. If you'll stand with me this morning in conclusion. Here's the awesome thing about the work of God in people's lives. (laughs) It only takes a moment. It only takes a moment. Oftentimes, the process of getting to Jesus takes a lifetime. But it only takes God a moment to fix it. Brother Phil, I'm sorry I'll use you again. But uh, had walked away from God, had been away from God some 30 years. God turned his world upside down, two or three different things. And Phil thought it in his best interest to come back to God. He walked down the center aisle, and I think he got about right here when Jerry Holland was preaching here. Brother Holland prayed for him, and in less than five seconds, God had filled him up with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he's been on a path of righteousness ever since. Just like that. Just like that. So the hardest part of this sermon for all of us here today and what makes it hard is because we're Americans. Americans, it takes a lot to move Americans because we're satisfied, we're spoiled, we have money, we have nice cars, nice homes. Most everybody here does. As far as I know, everybody does. I don't think anybody walked to church or rode a horse to church or anything like that. Y'all came to the car. Probably ate something this morning. There were donuts next door. Hallelujah, that was the will of God. (laughs) Donuts next door. We had pig-in-the-blanket things. That's little biscuits with sausage in it. Coffee. Tea. Depending on what class you attend, you're fed well. Others fast during breakfast. (laughs) But we're all fat and sassy, as the old saying goes. And when your life falls apart, you don't know what to do about it. It is exactly right. When your life goes haywire on you and flips upside down, you don't know what to do. But sometimes God, sometimes God, a setback, and allow all that to happen 
because that's the first time in your life where you really look God in the face and say, I need some help. So here's the hard part. And it's hard because we're not accustomed to doing it. You have to take action. I know a woman, she attended our church in Youngstown. She knew she had breast cancer and did nothing about it and died. There's people here today with all kinds of physical problems, mental problems, emotional problems, family problems, all that kind of stuff. And you've learned to deal with it. You do the spiritual, mental domestic whatever prescription at Walmart and you get the generic brand to just get you through another day when Jesus is in the house and he can get you off of your stretcher and get you back on your feet and empower your life to wade through whatever hell and the devil has to throw at you. Is anybody hearing me today? If you want this to happen, you have to take action. You have to believe it just like you heard it. You take faith at face value. You take Jesus at face value. And if the preacher said God can impact my life, then I'm going to believe it. I'm going to try it. And see what happens. So, the ball's on your court. I did my job today, and I did a good job. The ball's on your court. Will you do your job, and will you do it good? You need God in your life. You need answers in your life. Take some action. That doesn't mean come down here and just fold your arms and stare at the ceiling and look at your watch and try to figure out where you're going to lunch. It ain't going to happen. Get out of your lazy boy. Get out of that mentality. You're not watching LSU on football. They're not going to play the whole game for you. You can root and hoop and holler all you want, but it ain't going to do them one ounce of good. If you want God to do something in your life, you're going to have to do something about it. Your mama can't do it. Your daddy can't do it. Your husband or wife can't do it. But you have a bunch of friends here today. We can do something about it. <laughs> Jesus saw their faith, not his faith. And there's some people here today I've got faith for. I connected with Brother Jason a little while ago, and we've got our faith connected for somebody here today. So you have faith because you have mine and you have his. So there's no other reasons, man, why you can't get to Jesus. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. You need forgiveness? It comes through repentance. Your sin can be washed away in baptism. And you can be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost today. And it changes everything. Oh, yes, it does. So as they begin to sing softly this morning, I want to open up the front of the building. You don't have to go up on the roof and tear the roof off. We've got a path made for you. Just step out in the aisle and just follow the aisle down to the front. And if you need, come on, Grace Church. I need somebody to help me. Come on, everybody come on down here. Everybody come on down here. We need a God moment today for somebody. Somebody needs to experience Jesus like you've never experienced Jesus before. This is a God moment for somebody. Get people out of your way. Get people out of your mind. Don't worry about people. Let God be your focus right now and see what happens in your life.
Come on, Grace Church. Come on, Grace Church. Somebody help me this morning. Somebody help me this morning. Find somebody to pray with. Somebody put your heart into the next five, ten minutes right now. Somebody let the Holy Ghost have his way. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to get to Jesus. And we're making it happen right now. We're making it happen right now. Come on, folks, find somebody to pray with. Let's help somebody get to Jesus right now. Let's help somebody get to Jesus right now. We can do this. Hallelujah. There's somebody here right now that needs a friend. Somebody needs a friend right now. Hallelujah to God. Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Ken Williams is kneeling all the way at the corner. Oh, God, play, pray with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, folks. Everybody in the house. Put your faith where your mouth is. Hallelujah! Hallelujah to God! Hallelujah to God! Hallelujah to God! In the name of Jesus! We can do this. Come on, folks. We can do this. Hallelujah to God. Go ahead, folks. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah. 